0: Building on a full and accurate truth concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the Scriptures speak. This is the Relentlessly Biblical Podcast. Welcome everyone. Welcome to episode 19, and the episode will be about understanding the new covenant. We're here in Prevail Studios in Nazareth, PA in the USA. I got to say the USA, Christian. I got Christian here the with me. USA. Hello, hello. Because there's people listening to us all over. But we're here in the good old USA in the state of Pennsylvania in the town of Nazareth. That's where Prevail Studios is at. And this is episode 19. So welcome. Welcome back, everyone. And we're going to be discussing understanding the new covenant. And we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And let me tell you something, dude. Like we've been talking about leading up to recording this episode. By the way, this is going to be two parts. So, <laughs> this it's gonna is going to be a long one. There's enough material in that chapter for this episode and the next. So, we're definitely going to break it up that way. And it's just a perfect example of just how profoundly deep the Word of God is. And I promise you, folks, if you're listening, you're going to enjoy this episode and you'll be biting at the bit to listen to the next one once we're done. So, Thank you for being here. We appreciate that you guys show up every month to listen to these podcasts. We enjoy presenting them to you. We enjoy being here. And we enjoy sharing the Word of God with not just you, but everyone who listens all over the world. And that's uh, amazing to even think about. So before we get started, I'm just going to do a quick PSA. And I just want to let everybody know that at our website, at our audio website, if you go in and you type in "relentlessly biblical." Dot org That takes you to our audio website, our podcast audio website. That's where all our podcast um, recordings are at. And we added a section. If you go halfway down past the, the current episodes or the latest episodes, you'll see a little area there that's called Let Us Know That You Care. And it's a place where you can do make a one-time donation. And of course, we're always appreciative of all you folks out there that are financially supporting our podcast and helping this happen because it's supported by you guys. It really is not supported by anyone else. I mean, we contribute our time and money and efforts and no sponsors. There's no one paying for us to be here. We're here because we want to disseminate the word of God. But you can make a one time donation. But more importantly, what I love about this section is, is once you click on that one time donation link, Christian, you can leave us a message. I like that. And, and kind of, cool. you know, send a message out to your host and just let us know how you're doing. So go to relentlesslybiblical.org. It'll take you to our podcast audio homepage. And click on that, uh, let us know you care to make a one-time donation and help us out. And more importantly, leave a message. I've gotten letters and we've got emails from some of you guys. But here it will post right to the website. And you can reach out to us and we'll see it and other people will we'll see it as well, too and um, people uh, will see your message and it'll be shared with the community of listeners that are out there. We got a community Christianing, that's something that's awesome all right and another thing i want to tell you before we even get started um when we started this ministry um it's going to be 10 years next year 2024 will be 10 years that long that we started what's our parent ministry is called called core truth ministries and my family and i started this ministry after we had spent some years starting churches mostly spanish churches and kind of being discontent with just the way that people were neglecting the word of god in church And we started that ministry so that we can, you know, bring real good Bible teaching to churches and to people and to keep people true to what they're supposed to be doing, which is disseminating the Word of God. And if you go to our homepage at core-truth.org, there is a quote from John C. MacArthur, Pastor MacArthur. And I'm going to read it to you because I think it really captures not only what our ministry that we started 10 years ago is about Christian, but why we even started the, po- the podcast, which is going on next year. It'll be two years. Okay, let me read you that quote. It says, The greatest service that you can render to anyone is to give them an understanding of Scripture. And the reason I read that to you is because that is pretty much at the very basic level why we do what we do. Amen. And there's no better example of doing that than these two episodes that we are going to cover. Because this, let me tell you something, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is so deep and so profound that I guarantee you, I promise you, it will open up your understanding to the scriptures. And like John MacArthur says, it's the service, the best service that you can render to anyone is to help them understand the scripture. So I'm excited about this teaching. I, I really agree am, with that. I know? agree with that. And I also want to share something else, Christian. Um, yesterday, um, a friend of our podcast, Kurt Blatman, he put a devotional. He has a daily devotional. It's at um, BibleApologetics.org. And um, it, it kind of hit me and, and, and was a profound um, read for me yesterday as I started my day. Because I, I would say the last few episodes that we've been doing, Christian, we've been really intentful, really you know purposeful in making sure that we point people to the Scripture. Amen. I mean, and the title of his devotional from October 13, 2023 is Why Should I Read the Bible? Let me just read to you real quick, just a a small portion of it. And if you want to, you know, um, subscribe to his daily devotional, I highly recommend it. It's at BibleApologetics.org. And he says, there are literally dozens of great reasons why we should want to read the Bible. How one views the Bible is so critical because a proper view of this amazing book will determine how often one will read it and the approach one brings when opening its sacred pages wow and doesn't that ring true for all the stuff that we've been teaching on this podcast yeah it's really what you put into it you know and, and i love that he says it, it you know your approach to this amazing book will determine what you get out of it you know, And he puts a quote here a little bit further down in the article where he quotes Abraham Lincoln, one of the most profound men in history. And I'm not just talking about American history. There's Abraham Lincoln statues in other parts of the world. He was such a, per, a profound influence in this world. Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln is quoted as saying, in regard to this great book, I, I have but to say, I believe the Bible is the best gift gift God has given to man. All the good savior gave to the world was communicated through this book, but for this book we could not know right from wrong. All things most desirable for man's welfare here and the hereafter are to be, profu- are, are to be found, portrayed in it. What wonderful words from such a tremendous man uh, in history and who was a Christian and saw the value of, um, of the Bible. And I wanted to share that with our listeners because it really sets a good tone for, for what we've been talking about and what we're going to dig into. And what we're going to dig into. So I share that with you. and Like I said, just go to that website, BibleApologetics.org, and subscribe for that devotional. Every day it'll inspire you. That one really inspired me yesterday, and I hope that you guys enjoyed that.
1: And and it's and it's true, uh, everything that you're saying there, what Kurt Blotman was saying, and even the quote from Abraham Lincoln. Uh, lately, I've been kind of just reading through First Kings, Second Kings, Second Chronicles, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, and uh, you know, I, I just want to understand more of who God is um, in the Old Testament. And taking that approach uh, to reading those as uh, someone who's never read the Scriptures before, it's opened up my understanding in a way that uh, it draws me to love God more because of. The heartache that God has been through with Israel and Judah and how they've turned away from him so many times. And in my own life, I've reflected and seen how, man, God is such a good God. And we have uh, played the harlot, as he would say, Mm -hmm. Um, just like, uh, you know, the sons of Israel and, you know, God is so kind. I mean, there's that verse that says, you know, God's kindness should lead us to repentance. And it's just a, a beautiful um, thing in my life at the moment that I'm reading through that and just trying to see more of the character of God and see why God is so frustrated with Israel um but it's drawn me closer to know him more um and i'm reading first kings you know <laughs> yeah. it's not like you know like what we're going in here in second corinthians chapter 3 it, you know, it's all
0: good yeah. everywhere in scripture is true it's all good it's I, true and it's funny it, it, because you kind of you kind of bring forward to me in my mind that the bible is many things to many people because it doesn't matter where in the scripture you are god's got something to say to you amen whatever page it is so, yeah, that's 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 amazing, Christian. Thank you for sharing that. And it really does bring to the forefront of my mind that no matter where you are in Scripture, I mean, God's got something to say. But like Kurt says here in his devotional, how one views the Bible is critical. Because if you view it as an amazing book, guess what? You're going to be in it often. And if it's just something that's not important in your life, then guess what? You're not going to approach it, and you're not going to get the benefit from it. So, at least people, when you're listening to this podcast, and when you listen to Christian and I do this teaching, I hope that you get the sincere, the sincerity that's in our heart, that we hold this book high above all things. It is God breathed. It is God Himself entering our lives as often as we want Him to be there. That's right, and that's important. That is so so important. And I hope that message is getting through, not just in the teachings that we've done, but our teachings not only this episode but the ones going forward because that's the message that we want to put out there so that people's understanding would open up to the scriptures because once their understanding opens up Christian they're going to dig in it's true and once you dig in it's like one of them pinatas that you smack around with like a stick yeah yeah. <laughs> you keep on beating that bad boy there's more candy gonna come out <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that analogy popped into my mind but there it is <laughs> so listen folks we're gonna dig into 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 and before we do that let me just set some some context and some background because that's important okay so this letter is a letter from Paul and it's the second letter to the church in Corinth now the church in Corinth was situated in southern Greece it was about 45 miles west of Athens it's within what was a province of, of Rome and Paul founded this church on his second missionary journey and you can read about that in Acts 18 but has was his custom. If you're a, a student of the Bible, you know when when Paul went into a town, he went to the Jewish synagogue first, and right. then he reached out to the Gentiles. He did the same thing t- uh, here as well in Corinth, except that he found two believers named Priscilla and Aquila that helped him establish this church. Okay, and when he started this church, he 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 arrived in Corinth and spent a good eighteen months with the believers there, and, and then he left for his second missionar- missionary jur- journey. OK, along the way, he heard about the immorality that was going on in his church that he had just established in Corinth. And he wrote a letter to them, which has since been lost. And I'll cover that a little bit later. It's a letter that has been lost to history. But in this letter, he instructed them to disassociate themselves from people who called themselves brothers who were engaged in immorality. Now, while he was in Ephesus, okay, along this second missionary journey that he took, he receives additional reports about the trouble and divisions in the church, and he also receives some requests based on that lost letter because the church was asking for some clarifications on some certain issues, and Paul responds with 1 Corinthians and and at first Corinthians really is a letter in which he he delivers with Timothy and it deals with a lot of the sin and a lot of the issues that were going on in the church so what was going on in first Corinthians really was the most serious problem was all the sins that were going on in, in the church and a lot of it is because of where they were Corinth was not a good place right and the Corinthian church had a lot of worldliness and there seemed to have been some unwillingness to separate themselves from the culture and from all the pagan practices that were going on. So while the congregation was highly gifted spiritually, many believers were engaging in sins, and it was kind of becoming commonplace. And Paul is out, you know, spreading the gospel, doing his mission, and what Jesus called him to do—to reach out to the to the Gentiles, the Jew, and then the Gentiles he's hearing about all these problems and what kind of problems were going on in corinth there was quarreling divisions there were factions that were forming there was some jealousy there was some evidence of pride that was rearing its ugly head within that congregation there was even incest and sexual immorality that was among that was found among them to the extent where there was one man in the church that was having his father's wife okay and this is something that even Within Corinth, which was a pagan place that, you know, there was no holds barred, even that was looked down upon by the pagans as being something that's wrong, a son taking his father's wife. But that's the kind of stuff that was going on. And there was lawsuits that were going on among believers. There was a lack of love among individuals. And there's a lot of trouble that arose in the church due to this moral corruption within the culture, and they tolerated a lot of the fornication that was going on in society, adultery, homosexuality, polygamy, the practice of having calcubines, which is basically having a woman that you cohabit with. And, hold, and she holds kind of a lower status than your wife. That stuff was being tolerated. Again, this is all things that they're seeing in their surrounding Corinth society. And it's creeping into the church. And right. Paul's getting word of this stuff. And there's some ugly stuff going on. Like the Lord's Supper was beginning to become defiled. It was turning into this gluttonous event where there was even and People were showing up drunk to, wow. uh, to do the Lord's Supper. Disorderly services were being held. The gift of tongues was being abused, counterfeited and in a way that was disastrous to the church. And there was even a refusal among the church to support the poor among them. And you know that Paul, when he was out there in his mission trips, he was also concerned about the poor, especially back in Jerusalem and collecting with some of the churches out there money to go and give to the poorest. They were even neglecting that and refused to do that. There were even some in in the church in Corinth that were cursing the name of Jesus Christ. And these are things, and I lay these out because this is the setting. This is the background of the things that Paul had to deal with. And he's getting word about all these things, okay? Yeah,
1: the church of Corinth is in rough shape.
0: And it's in rough shape. And let me tell you something, it's a church that he's invested a lot of his heart and a lot of time into as well, too. So this is very hurtful towards him. So let's move on to the letter of 2 Corinthians. So Paul's receiving bad news, okay? After he dispatches this letter, the 1 Corinthians letter to, with Timothy, he receives, continues out there on the mission field, continues to receive disturbing news about these false apostles that are now coming into the church. Possibly this news is coming from Timothy itself, himself. They were actively in the church, undermining his character and his credibility, And that's the setting that we're walking into here in second Corinthians. Not only did he had to deal with the sins of the church and that immorality, and he dealt with that in first Corinthians. Now he's getting word that there are false teachers coming in and their aim is to turn the church away from Paul and turning him away from the teachings instead of, and and to follow their own teachings with the ultimate goal is to, is to propagate a different gospel, a false gospel. All right. So what does Paul do? Paul leaves after hearing this. He leaves temporarily his ministry in Ephesus to confront these false teachers. Now it gets real ugly down here. However, it's a very painful visit. Because he goes and he's openly insulted by someone in the church. The Scriptures is not very clear about who that someone is. I don't know if it's someone within the church or a false Uh, uh, apostle because they were showing up calling themselves apostles with letters from other churches saying we're the apostles and this is our gospel you've got to get away from what paul is teaching because what he's teaching is wrong so he shows up in person to deal with this and they openly insult him and to make matters worse whoever this person was the corinthians stood by and did nothing Now, this hurt him greatly, okay? Now, he's saddened greatly by what the church did. I mean, this disloyalty that they showed towards him must have been heartbreaking. So he returns to Ephesus, okay? He doesn't reprove them any further, hoping that time will bring them to their senses, and he wanted to spare them more pain. And that comes out in 2 Corinthians, that kind of language. So he's deeply grieved about what happened in the church, and he writes to Ephesus and what has come to known, known to be another letter that has disappeared in history. It's called the Severe Letter, and it's mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, where he expresses that the motives that he had when he showed up was not to be harsh, but to be loving towards the church, and that his reproofs towards them Okay, we're with good intent because he loves, I mean, he loves this church. And he sends this, this letter with, uh, with Titus, I, I believe, um, this what they call a severe letter. And then later on, he meets with Titus in Macedonia after sending this severe letter. And then Paul is elated because he learns from Titus after sending this letter, okay, that the Corinthians have started to repent from this rebellion. And they've started to come around. So therefore, he arrives in Philippi and he writes the letter known as Second Corinthians, which is the letter that we're going to study and dig into today. Aware that some attitudes still may, you know linger, some bad rebellious attitudes may still linger beneath the surface, but he writes Second Corinthians to deal specifically with these new issues. Remember, First Corinthians, he dealt with all this right, immoral right. sin. Now he's got to deal with these false apostles that have showed up, insulted him, where he had to walk away. Corinthians did nothing to defend him. And now he's getting good news from Titus that they're starting to turn around and and, and come back to reality. And so he's pleased with this. And this is where Second Corinthians come in. The essence of and he basically he aims to revive um uh the essential funds that these people were also refusing Okay, to to collect. That's another aim. And not not just when he sees that they're they're coming around is what I'm trying to say. He tries to restore them and get them back to the basic fundamental principles of the gospel. But he also his aim and always his aim is to get them back to to help the impoverished church in in Jerusalem and get them to start, you know, giving money back to the church as well, too. That's always an aim with Paul, because it's always about these churches. You got to understand in the early church, they supported each other. Right. And the Jerusalem church was under heavy persecution. Money coming from all these different ministries and, and and Paul going around and doing these collections is very important to him, okay? So he goes and he tries to deal with this in Second Corinthians, and that's where we're at. We're in chapter 3, okay? So... A little bit more of an introduction, I promise we'll dig in. And the reason this chapter is so important, which is why I think we're digging into it. And, and, and Christian, you know, you've been studying for it and preparing for it as well. There's, it's profound because this this chapter holds such a great significance and it holds so many foundational principles that it's not funny. And found foundational principles that can't be compromised. Right, right, And if you understand this chapter, chapter 3... You'll also have to grasp the concept of the Old Testament and what the message of the Old Testament. You can't get around it. To understand this chapter, you have to understand what the message of the Old Testament is and make a distinction between what the law brought and what the gospel brings. It's here in chapter 3, and we're going to read that. The church in Corinth, they fell under the spell of these false apostles because their understanding of the Old Testament was lacking. Yeah. They fell prey to these false apostles and were deceived because these false apostles show up basically and say, hey, listen, I know we're believers and now we're Christians, but we've got to go back and we've got to make sure that we're following the law. So now instead of being faith uh, uh, through grace, now we've got faith with works and we're going back to the old covenant. Okay, that was in the Old Testament where you had to do all these ceremonies and sacraments, including circumcision. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things that these false apostles are saying. Hey, you can be a believer, that's cool, but you gotta get circumcised. (laughs) Hey, you can be a believer, that's cool, but you gotta follow the law whether it be, you know, a uh, food law where you got to eat kosher. Right. Right. I mean, we run into this. We run into this in many churches where they, they turn to this legalism. And that's the kind of thing that these churches, that the church in Corinth fell into. And it's because of their lack of understanding in the scripture. And Paul addresses it here in chapter three.
1: Yeah. One of the biggest things that I, uh, you know, that comes to mind is Romans. I mean, Roman Romans, Paul sets that straight with the law and faith. So um, even reading the other accounts uh, that Paul has written, um, you can see that he's very adamant. When someone is kind of uh, drifting away back to the old way, the old covenant, uh, he's quick to reel them in um, because it's super important.
0: Well, there's a big reeling in that's going on here. Yeah, yeah. So he struggled with this church for a while and now he got false apostles showing up. Now, granted, apostles are known as those who have been personally sent by Jesus Christ. Okay? We right. know who the 12 apostles were, and we know that Paul, although he was not part of the 12, on the road to Damascus, he was confronted by Jesus Christ personally. So that's the credibility that he brings to the table. What credibility these false apostles were bringing, we don't know. But they were showing up with letters, and we see that in the first few verses that we're going to read. They're showing up with some kind of uh, um, credibility that they've invented or gotten elsewhere, and they're trying to basically undermine Paul's credibility. But they're not really apostles. They're not apostles at all. So like we were discussing in our last episode, episode 18 guarding against sin and growing in Christ this chapter is going to provide you people some practical teaching on how to protect your life in Christ and and nurture your love for the Savior because there's some core teaching here some fundamental stuff that will cement you in that at the heart of this teaching is a strong encouragement to deepen your understanding of the scripture that is what at the core of what this teaching is you must have a deeper understanding of the scripture and while the circumstances at the church in Corinth in this chapter may not seem relevant to some, Paul is masterful in teaching that the profound depth that is in this chapter and, and the depth that you can have to open up your understanding of the Scripture is absolutely profound. And right. I guarantee you, folks, it will make an impact on your life. Now, I just look at my own life, Christian, okay? And when you think about false apostles coming in and, you know, we know the gospel to be Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself through his Son, right so that those who may believe would have everlasting life and that everlasting life manifests itself in the fact that Jesus Christ, although dying on a cross, rose from the dead and that's the life, that's the hope. that's the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's the good news. yeah That's the gospel, okay? That's the only gospel that's in the Bible okay Old Testament and New Testament okay that is the only news the good news as I say in Spanish las buenas nuevas yeah good news okay so let's read chapter 3 and let's get through this and let's dig in and I promise people this is going to be a lot of meat on this bone all right so chapter three, Second Corinthians verse 1 I'm going to read all the way 318 are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need as some letters of recommendation to you or from you again this goes back to we were talking about with the false apostles because apparently they're asking he's basically sarcastically saying hey right right do we need recommendation letters too
1: okay it's a simple the 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 answer is a simple no like we you talked about first corinthians he's written a letter and honestly does Paul really need a letter of commendation from them? Because, I mean, he mentions later on in Corinthians that the biggest commendation he has is from Christ himself. So even if they don't accept his, you know, commendation or uh, give him a letter of commendation, Paul knows in his heart, his conscience is clear. Christ is my letter of commendation.
0: Amen. And so going on in verse two, it says, you are our letter. "...having been written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, ministered to you by us, having been written, not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of hearts and flesh, and and such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves, to consider anything as coming from ourselves but our our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant not of the letter but the spirit for the letter kills but the spirit gives life but if the ministry of death in letters, having been engraved on stones, came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, which was being brought to an end, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be even more in glory? For if the ministry of condemnation, okay, we're talking about the law, right, has glory, how much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. We're talking about the ministry, the new covenant of faith. Verse 10. For indeed, what had been glorious in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which was being brought to an end was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness and are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the, con- at, the con- at the consequence of what was being brought to an end. Verse 14, But their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, again, that's the law, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is brought to an end in Christ. Heck of a statement there. Verse 15, But to this day, whenever Moses is read, A veil lies lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Mm -hmm. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Verse 18, I think we actually read at the end of our last episode.
1: Yeah, I thought I remembered uh, that. That was kind of a tease. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Of what was coming. So let's dig into this new covenant, okay? Because I think the background helps us understand what we're walking into, the situation that Paul had here. And it's pretty clear within the first few verses all the way through verse 6 what happens here. And Christian and I were just talking about that, right? He he basically is showing up. We don't need letters with you guys. You guys are our letters. This man invested 18 months of his life here with these people. He doesn't need any letters of recommendation. You're our letter. Look at your changed life. Look at the transformed life that you have. Look at what the gospel has done in your life. Right, right. You are our letter, as he says it right here in verse 2. And he goes on to say that he doesn't say that with a confidence like there's something that they did that was so special. And when he refers to, 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 to we that we've done, he's talking about Paul and all those that have been helping him build this ministry out there. He says it with the confidence that he has because his confidence is in God. Not that it's verse 5 sufficient in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. So if there's anything that Paul can point to in his church and say, I don't need a letter. You're proof that the gospel we have brought has made changes in your right. life. Look at the grace that's in your life. Look at what you've been freed from. And that was a that was a common
1: thing that uh, actually occurred, um, you know, at this time, especially when, you know, people wanted to go to a certain place. Um, an example of that is Apollos in Acts eighteen, um, where he was acquainted with only the baptism of John. Um, and then Priscilla and Aquila took him aside, explained the way of God more accurately, and, um, and then he kind of says that uh, in the case of Apollos, he said that he wanted to go across uh, Achia, Achaya, Achaya, um, which was another place uh, that he wanted to go for, for ministry, and they ended up writing a, a letter of recommendation to welcome him uh, into that place, so they kind of were familiar with him. So. This makes sense why he's kind of like being sarcastic because it's like, I don't need to be welcomed. (laughs) Like, I
0: know, I know you guys. And I'm glad you brought that up because you're right. It was a common practice. I mean, you had to be very wary of people because the pastor in those days traveled. Right, it's right. not like you see nowadays where a pastor gets to church and he's there every Sunday. No, the pastor traveled. This is why you see in scripture when it's, when Jesus sends out the disciples, he says, you know, if they receive you, then they receive you. But if they don't shake right. the dust off your feet, that's how the pastor was. But they traveled and they usually travel with letters from the church that they correct, came from, correct. which gave them credibility. Like these guys are truly disciples of Christ. These guys are truly disciples of those that were with Christ the apostles and that brought credibility and you needed that because there was a lot of people that were walking around and going from countryside to countryside saying they were jesus even in jesus time right right he would talk about that how there would you know be false teachers that come and say there he is there he goes there's there's the 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 christ no That was going on, too. These letters were important. Yeah, you needed that.
1: You needed that introduction.
0: But the way that they did him so wrong, okay? where he showed up and basically he got tore down by whoever this someone was that was trying to undermine him and insult him and and the church did nothing. You know, he kind of walked away defeated and he rightly gave them the time they needed to come to their senses and, and 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 thankfully by the time 2 Corinthians is written they're coming to their senses a little bit and dropping some of that immorality but the letter the question of letter comes up because this is what the false teachers were imposing on them right this Paul's a phony where's his recommendation here's ours where's his degree you know what I'm saying? Right. There's people like that in this world. They got more degrees in a the thermometer, but their credibility is in the toilet. Right. That happens. Okay? But, one,
1: but one of the biggest credibilities that Paul even had, I mean, he performed signs and wonders before them. So, I mean, how much more credibility do you need
0: from me, you know, from Paul, you know? It's even beyond that. He's he's not even going there. And you're right. He can. But sure. he's saying, no, don't uh, just look at what's been manifested in your life not because we manifested it, because Christ has manifested that, because God has done that, right? Verse 4, and such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to consider anything to come from us. Our sufficiency comes from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant. And that's where we're going to basically pivot and dig in a little bit more deeper. But that first part that we just covered there really is Paul digging in and saying, forget about the letters of recommendation. You're my letter of recommendation. Look at the change in your life. This is the gospel of the new covenant, not what these guys are teaching you. Remember, they're wrapped up in the sacraments, okay? I, as a Catholic, growing up as a Catholic young man, Okay, I was an altar boy for many years. I can tell you that I understand the mindset. Showing up every Sunday, sacrificing Christ on the altar week after week after week, because that's what the Eucharist is in the Catholic Church. It's taking Christ and killing him all over again. Okay, sacraments, ceremonies, all these things that man must do so that he can say he's done something, you know, a ministry of works, not one of grace where God has done everything, which is what the Bible teaches. The gospel doesn't teach that man has to do anything. God has done it all. Christ has done it all. And when I was growing up in the Catholic Church, it was you had to do this, you had to do that, you had to do that. I'm I, I've shared it on this podcast. It was one time my father went barefoot to church. Oh yeah. I thinking that. <laughs> that was something that was gonna bring him closer to God. Because this is the kind of things that Catholics did. And I'm not just Pointing my finger at Catholics just to beat up on them. There's other religions that are the Greek Orthodox have sacraments. Yeah. There's other pro, the religions that came out of the Protestant movement that they all do that stuff where, you know, all these sacraments are still practiced. And these priests with the backward collars are out there putting their place themselves in the place of Christ. There's no one in the place of Christ. Yeah. These sacraments needed to go away. And all of a sudden, Paul is dealing in the Corinthian church. These sacraments are back all of a sudden, and now they're important. When did this happen?
1: You're right. It's not just with the Catholic Church. I mean, you see this with, you know, cults like Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. When you get down to the root of it, it comes down to works, works that uh you know uh,
0: get you salvation amen so let's pivot right here at verse six where it says we also made a sufficient of ministers of the new covenant because that's a big distinction those guys that have showed up to confuse the church of corinth they're ministers of the old covenant the false gospel, he's saying we are ministers of the new covenant. And that's what this episode's all about. The next two episodes, it's about opening up and understanding about just exactly what is he talking about. And he says it in verse six, it's not of the letter, but the spirit, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So he right away in that verse six, he makes a distinction. The new covenant isn't like the law because all the law did was kill. But the new covenant, the new promise from God, okay, which is what a covenant is, that brings life. Now, before you start thinking in your mind that the old covenant is different than the new covenant, in a way it is, but in a way it isn't, okay, and we'll cover that a little bit later. Okay, From God's perspective, it really is the same covenant and it all revolves around Christ. And we'll dig into that a little bit deeper. And when he says here, not the letter, but the spirit, I want to make clear that there's nothing. Paul isn't saying that the law is bad. Okay, Paul is not saying that the law is bad. God gave the law. The law is good. What he's saying by the letter of the Spirit here, it's almost like what Jesus used to preach all the time, okay? You say that, uh, that you shouldn't commit adultery. I say if you look at a woman... With lust in your eyes you already committed adultery right right to me that is the letter it's it's the way that you're interpreting it it's the way that you're applying it it's the spirit of the law not necessarily the law itself but the spirit of the law sure the law says not to commit adultery but they were getting around that by looking at women and lusting after them and that wasn't breaking the law but see the letter of the law which is the spirit of the law is still broken if you look at a woman with lust you're still breaking the law. That's right. And that's one of the things that Jesus brought in the New Testament that was radical. He took the law to the next level. That's what I believe, and not because I believe it. I think that's what the scriptures is communicating here. He's not really knocking the law. He's saying the letter of the law, the way that you're interpreting it, the way that you're 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 seeing what it means is wrong. Because all that does is bring death right okay to interpret it to think that you've got to do all these things all over again that is just going to lead to death it's the way that they were in temp- interpreting the law and we're going to cl- clarify that here for you guys for sure verse 7 but if the ministry of death in the letters haven't been engraved on stones came with glory so the sons of Israel could not look intently on the on the face of Moses because of the glory in his face. And we'll cover most of that in this episode. But I'm going to stop right there because I want to take a look at these. You had something to say?
1: Yeah, just um, I was trying to figure out where, where the heck I read it. But uh, just to kind of go off of your point. Um, you know, talking about the law. Um, you know, in Hebrews it talks about that the law. I was just going there,
0: dude. You just read my mind. Oh, my bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're good. Um, yeah, in Hebrews eight chapter uh, chapter eight verse seven, um, it says for for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Um, and it's not that the the first um, the old covenant or the law was faulty. That's not what the issue here. It actually served its purpose. I think that's what you were kind of alluding to. It served its purpose, but it was to show the fault in men. That was the purpose of the law. So it served the purpose. That's why it came with glory, right? But nonetheless, it's like there's something that's going to surpass that with glory.
0: So it makes me think, um, Moses is being brought up here and in, in, in very profoundly in chapter 3. Um, and it makes me think, okay, well, now we're talking about the, old, the saints of old, the old saints that believed in God and, and followed God and his promises. Remember, the, these are covenants that were made by God from Abraham all the way through present day. Okay, these are, these are promises that cannot be broken. Let's go to Hebrews 11. I want to read some of it, and then I'm going to highlight a few verses here. But when we this chapter here, Hebrews 11, this is all the heroes of the faith. Okay, we got Abraham, verse eight, when he was called, obeyed by going out of place, out of the place where he was and received an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. This is a man who had faith in God. And verse nine, it says, by faith, he sojourned into the land of promise, a foreign land, dwelling in tents. Then there's Isaac, there's Jacob, and it goes on. It goes on. These are men of faith that believed in God's promises. Abraham had had a promise from God. His covenant was from God that he was going to make him a nation, not just a nation among his people, but he was going to be a blessing to the Gentiles as well. That's, That's a big promise. That's a big promise, not just to build a nation out of one man, but to make him a blessing to the rest of the world. And if you go on, verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And then you've got, um, by faith, verse 20 in Hebrews. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding the things to come. Okay, the things to come, the promises made to his father. And then Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of his sons, Joseph, and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Verse 22, then there's Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus to Israel, giving commands concerning his bones. And then verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. I mean, these are these are guys that were... I mean, the book of Hebrews puts them forward because they're examples of men of faith. Right, right. If they're following the law, the law can't be bad because here we are reading in in Hebrews and they're being held up as like this. These are men that we should be emulating. Yeah, yeah. And what is it that we should be emulating? The fact that God made promises to them. This old covenant, this Old Testament covenant had promises attached to it. Now, all of these men and women, too, because you look in 31, you got Rahab the harlot she's listed in here I mean these are people that believed God they had the promise from God and they believed it verse 2 okay let's go right there for a moment because it says for it the men of old gain approval what does it mean faith the faith that these men of old men and women of old had so far by it their faith They gained approval. So God approved of them because of the faith that they put in him. Right, right. Okay, and that's important because that it in that verse is faith. Verse 39 out of Hebrews, and all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Right, right. Oh, wait a second. Now we got to pause there. What does that mean? All these promises that these old saints in the Old Testament had, all these promises that they had, they didn't receive them. But yet they gained God's approval, verse 39, through their faith. Right. Yet did not receive what they promised.
1: Yeah, the context of this whole chapter is faith. Like that's, it's, it, you, can't, you can't get any clearer than that. It's, it's faith.
0: Look at verse 40. Because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect and what it means apart from us the the author of hebrews is saying apart from the gospel that we have now okay they would be made perfect so basically you've got these saints of old promised by god all these wonderful things including and let's not forget the old testament is very specific this is a study all in itself it promises the messiah jesus even that's says right. That, that's right. that's right you look in the Scriptures for, for eternal life, but read the Scriptures. They speak of me. They speak of me. So, And the old saints, the saints of old, they knew this. They knew the promises that God had made that they would be a suffering servant to come. But they didn't receive that during their time. So they were putting their faith on on the promises of God and Hebrews is very clear here. And this is important that we understand it, that in verse 39, having gained the approval through that faith that they put in God and his promises, they didn't receive what was promised. So prior to the cross, believers put faith in what God was promising, not necessarily seeing that promise fulfilled. And that's important distinction to make here. And it goes on in verse 40 that says, because something better was coming. Right Now, from the perspective of Hebrews, that is the gospel, because apart from the gospel, they weren't going to be made perfect. And then we go back to 2 Corinthians, because the letter of the law, all it did was to serve, to show us our sin. And we're going to right. get into that a little bit more. But the, the law had a purpose. It wasn't so that you may be saved by it. Right, right. If anything, it was to point out your sin. And the, and the people who were... Old saints in the Old Testament, they understood this. This not to be made perfect. They did not receive what was promised until something better came, okay, apart from us. That means that after the cross, that was, was going to perfect their faith. In other words, I look at it this way, guys. You know, we're living in a current time. If you're a Bible believer, you know, Revelation, as a matter of fact, my wife and I had a conversation about this the other day because she was reading some stuff in Revelation, and it was confusing her. And I said to her, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because, you know, Revelation is a book that, you know, in our present age, we're not going to really understand it. Right, right. Because we're not there yet. Correct. There are things that have to manifest itself in Revelation that are not going to become clear for us. We just have to have faith that what God is promising in that book is going to come to pass. But I guarantee you the people who are going to be living in that time, they're going to understand it better than we understand it now. That's no different than in the context of Hebrews or Corinthians that we're reading right. right now. The people in the early church, they understood they understood the gospel. They were living it. They understood the cross. And they made sense of the fact that this promise that these old faith uh, saints were having in the Old Testament in the promises of God were coming to pass. And they were coming to pass in their present age. So they had a deeper understanding of what was going on and what they put their faith on because Christ had come. So right. after the cross, it's a whole different perspective because those promises made to the saints of old became manifested in Christ. Right. Okay. I think it's time to take a quick break. Oh, wow. Let's take yeah. a quick break and then we'll continue after this. We are privileged and excited that you joined us today. Please remember to visit our episode notes. They contain links to scripture, any information we reference during the show, and a link to join our mailing list to receive the latest show news and updates. If you want to send us your questions, provide feedback, or submit an idea for a future episode, we want to hear from you. Just use the Join the Conversation link provided to contact us. Want to get to know us better? Then we encourage you to use the Core Truth Media link provided in our episode notes to visit our coretruthmedia.org homepage. You can connect with us via social networks from that page and explore the diverse range of podcasts and high-quality content our ministry offers to those seeking to deepen their understanding of the Bible and grow in their faith. Finally, we invite you to help us communicate God's truth throughout the globe anyone can listen to this show for free everywhere podcasts are available click the listen and follow link in our episode notes and share it with your friends and family you'll be glad you did we appreciate your support now let's get back to our show okay welcome back folks all right, so let's dig in and, and continue where we left off. So we were reading in Hebrews where these the hall of fame of saints, you know, Abraham, Jacob, and all those men and women of the Old Testament, how they put their faith in God and they were looking forward to the promises of God. They they really didn't receive what God was promising because it hadn't manifested itself. Because let me tell you something. Old Testament saints knew that they weren't going to be saved by keeping the laws. Okay, and they weren't saved that way, and there was nothing in them that was inherent in them that merited their salvation, right? Too. right. Because that would contradict the gospel that we understand. To be now, right? After the cross, we understand that the gospel is God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. It had to be Christ. No one else can fulfill the law. He was perfect. He was the only one that could be that perfect sacrifice. I mean, look at John. The Baptist said he was the the lamb of God. Right. Okay? So all those bulls and lambs and everything that were offered, none of that. Keeping the laws, all that ceremony, living the way that the Jews lived, they knew That this was not going to save them, but they were looking forward to the promise that was coming. Not understanding or knowing what that is, but they were looking forward to that salvation because they knew in them and something in them was not going to merit that salvation. The only thing that made it that, that made the difference was that faith. Abraham had faith. Jacob had faith. They all had faith. And what god was promising david you name it they all had faith so the only white way, way for them okay now this is keeping the gospel in mind remember old testament new testament it's all the word of god look at it as one single conversation from god to us god is not inconsistent he doesn't contradict himself but the only way we know to be saved is to save in christ to be saved in christ so the only way for them to be forgiven and I'm talking about them being old saints right. from the Old Testament, was for their to be forgiven their sins and granted salvation, as if their sins were atoned for. Correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. And this can only be done how? In mm-hmm. Christ. Yeah. So here's the dilemma: you've got all these Old Testament saints doing all these ceremonies, sacrificing all these bulls and goats, knowing that it's not going to save them. <laughs> so where was their faith? In God. In the future. And in the future. In the promises of God. Right. They didn't know what those promises were. We know, because after the cross, we know that was fulfilled in Christ. Right, right, right. So really, and this is, I I want you people to understand that it's a perspective you need to have. Put yourself in their shoes. This is before the cross. You have no idea what's coming except what God has promised you. That's right, right. Right, But we know now that the only way to be give, be forgiven of sins and to have your sins atoned for completely, the bulls and goats couldn't do it because you had to do it all the time. Every year, the priest would go into the temple and kill another bull, kill another goat, and sprinkle for all those sins. Go ahead, Christian, you got something? Yeah, that, I mean, because
1: you're, you're um, you know, Scripture literally talks about this in the same book, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now the man... Uh, now the main point in what is being said is this we have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heavens, a minister in the holy places and in true tab in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that the high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were, meaning Jesus, were on earth, the high priest, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God. When he was about to erect the tabernacle, for see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain." But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. Amen. And he, you know, he obviously continues going. And in chapter nine, he actually explains the old covenant, the writer of Hebrews, and he also explains the new covenant. How you were talking that there's two places. There's the 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 first place where all the priests kind of go in and um, they do the ceremonial things, right? Right. It's the holy place the holy place and then you have the most holy place right. where the 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 high priest goes in atones for his sins plus the sins of um uh of uh, Israel the nation right those committed and
0: those that they didn't know they committed
1: right exactly exactly so even if you read continue reading through chapter 9 uh, ahead, brother. now even the first covenant um well end chapter uh verse Verse one of chapter nine. Now, even the first covenant had requirements of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary for there was a tabernacle prepared the first part in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread, which is called the holy place. And behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle, which is called the Holy of Holies having a golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron. So he's describing, you know, the, uh, the, the the first place you know where the ta- uh of the tabernacle um verse five and above it were the cherubim of gold so you know you got the 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 Ark of the Covenant and verse 6 now when these things have been Been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the first part of the tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is indicating this that the way into the holy places has not yet been manifested while the first part of the tabernacle is standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, requirements for the body imposed until a time of reformation. So he's literally explaining what the purpose of the tabernacle was for, you still had a guilty conscience. That's why Jesus opens up the beatitudes with, you know, if you look at a woman with lust, you have already committed adultery within your heart. If you hate your brother, you've committed murder.
0: All that sacrament, all that ceremony, all it does is foreshadow the Christ that was right, to come. Right, right. It's, imagery it's pictures of what's coming the only way that old testament saints could be saved is through christ now how can that happen if christ is not there right, yet? right 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 if there have never been now we go back to the new covenant that we're reading about in second corinthians if there have never been a new covenant they would never be saved think about that think about that You're right okay these saints were looking forward to the promises of god and that promise was fulfilled in Christ. Without Christ, the faith that the Old Testament saints had on the promises of God was not enough to save them without Christ. Without Christ, there is no salvation. That is true for New Testament saints, and that is also true for Old Testament right, saints. Right. And that's, and that's the, the perspective, and that's the insight that I want to share with everybody, because it changes your thinking yeah. about the Bible, not just Old Testament, but new to everything. It ties it all together, because there's only way for sin to be atoned for forever.
1: Right, it's Jesus.
0: And, and what were they doing, these old saints? Just frustrating themselves endlessly by doing these sacrifices, and it was going to accomplish nothing? Of course not. They knew. They knew Old Testament saints were also saved. Because they knew that they had an everlasting atonement for sin that was coming. That was coming. Moses understood this, okay? In verse 24, by the faith of Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Regarding the reproach of Christ, greater riches... Than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to that reward. That was chapter eleven, right? Yes, okay. So I mean, that's this is Moses and Hebrews we're reading. And he, Moses himself is looking forward and taking that reproach repro- and and pushing away that sin that sin and that life he could have had because there is greater riches in what's coming right he didn't know it was Christ but he knew it would be someone that this picture of this atonement that they do every year in the inner temple right. that would be permanent someday right right. They knew it would be permanent someday, and that day came when Christ died on the cross. And so that's this why they're called the heroes of
1: faith because exactly they, they had faith, even though in God, their Father, knowing that it would come someday, and it's not now. That's that's yeah, that's awesome.
0: It's mind blowing because and, and, and we're emphasizing this so much, and if I'm belaboring this, forgive me, but I just wanna I just know that people out there who are Christian, and they're sincere believers and students of the Bible, this may be something that they miss. You've got to understand that, the and this is why we talk about this all the time, Christian, the Bible is a Western book. Right. It's a historical book. You mean an Eastern book? An uh, Eastern book, sh- excuse me, an Eastern book. It's a, it's There's context that you need to understand, this culture behind it right, that you need right. to understand. There is a way that these people lived, and they had an expectation and god set that expectation with his promises they knew what they were looking forward to and we lose that perspective because we're now and we don't live like them and we don't think like them and we don't put ourselves in their shoes and think forward what would have been to been a what would have been like to be a christian without the cross you know, not a christian but right, a, a, right. a saved person someone saved by god you'd have to hang on to that hope yes. and promise that these sacrifices that we do daily weekly monthly, yearly, that it's going to lead to something permanent. They knew this. And Which it's,
1: is crazy because every single time that they did this, it was almost like a reminder of like, hey, there's something better coming. Just you wait, you know. Um, and it's no coincidence that, you know, Paul is referring to, you know, the letter of the law as a ministry of death or a ministry of condemnation. It's like, wow, like you're really calling it that. And, but now
0: you understand why. <laughs> correct. Correct. Because the law had a purpose. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more then. We're going to get into that before we close out this episode. But now you, you begin to, it comes into focus now right why paul is talking that way because you've got to have this perspective and how the old saints saw this so no sacrifice could ever take away sin no ever ever right god provided something better in christ it was that lamb that john the baptist said the lamb of god that would come and take away the sins forever so in the old testament the covenant god provided served to highlight the sinfulness of humanity and the insufficiency of the law to bring about true redemption that's what the law was for it was to highlight the fact that men in their sin they were so depraved and so far gone that the only way for they can be truly redeemed is for this christ to come this led the people okay to, 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 to place it's supposed to leave the law, it's supposed to lead people to a place of despair and longing for something better, like we just read in Hebrews eleven, verse twenty six. Even Moses was looking forward to a greater rich riches in Christ and looking for that reward. That's what the law served to do. Okay, to put you in a place where you're longing and despairing and looking for that complete redemption that's being foreshadowed to you as an Old Testament saint and all these sacraments and ceremony. What does this all mean? Trust me, people, when they saw all this going on, this is how they made sense of it. Those who were s- old saints, believers that truly had faith in the Word of God and in the covenants of God, this is how they saw stuff. They said, all this is just foreshadowing something that's going to come one day and take care of this forever. Right, right, right. And, and this just it just teaches us the importance of recognizing the inadequacy of placing our hope on things that we do because they're never going to get us there. And that ultimate redemption is only found in Jesus Christ.
1: Right. And it's proof of what, you know, God how God views man's heart. That's you know, you look at the law and you know, uh people were are, are abiding I mean people today are still abiding by it um and are working the law but you look at what Paul says um also in Galatians that you know uh for as many are are of workers of the law are under a curse. So like it's a curse to be a worker of the law. Um and it also the law also brings about wrath that's its purpose and again like i said before it's not that the old covenant or the the law was faulty it was just to show the fault in men so that there would still be faith in the the promise that god made right because if there was if there was no promise or new covenant that god established with the heroes of faith like moses and abraham you know what What did they have to look forward to? Nothing, you know, but God promised that and they were like, no, I'm looking forward to this and this every time I sacrifice a calf or a bull, it's just a reminder that God has promised me something and I am going to hold that
0: by what? Faith and how did they know these things how you know it, it, you put yourself in their shoes and it must have be just must have been frustrating what is it that god is preparing for us we know his promise we know that at some point sin is going to be taken away forever but what does that look like you right, know that right. they were wondering that well peter addresses that in first peter 1 and it says in first peter chapter 1 verse 10 concerning this salvation and this is to prove to you that the old prophet testaments they knew they knew and they were looking because it says in First Peter, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. They looked in the Scriptures. They made inquiries of the Scriptures to try to figure out what this covenant was going to manifest itself mm-hmm, to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Think about the Magi now, okay, who came to visit Christ as the, as the child uh, born to be the Messiah. How did they know? How did they know that he was going to be born? How did they know where he was going to be born? How did they know what time he was going to be born? Because they made searches and inquiries. The Magi understood when the Christ child was born, When they showed up, they followed the scripture. They understood the promises of God and they were looking forward and said, we figured it out. It's going to happen here. And this is the person who is this going to be. That's right. That's right. And that's why they went to Herod looking for the birth of the Messiah. It's not that God gave them some, some clairvoyant view. The clairvoyant view that they got was what the prophets wrote. Yeah. 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 They figured it out just with scripture that he was coming and they had it almost to the T. It goes to show you how reliable scripture is. Absolutely. Come on. Praise God for that. I'm glad you said that because that is so true. And Isaiah 53, come on, they knew of the suffering servant. Just read that. Right, right. Isaiah 53 reads like a fourth gospel. I mean, if you look at the
1: all of Isaiah, it's really... Excuse the me, f- fifth gospel. <laughs> yeah. There are four gospels. Fifth
0: but gospel. you know what I mean, right? No, no I know you, You got man. four gospels in the New Testament. You read Isaiah, it's almost like another one. Yeah, so Peter highlights this, and he he puts a really interesting, in-depth look at this and perspective. You know, these old prophets knew this. That's why they were digging in the scriptures and searching and making inquiries, like First Peter says, because they knew they knew the promises of God were going to manifest itself in who Isaiah said it was that suffering servant. They were looking, they were looking forward to that, which makes you think they should have been ready. If the magi can be ready to know where the child is going to be, they could have been ready to know when Christ showed up, who he was. And that must've been frustrating to no end to our savior. Okay. It's interesting. You know, some months back, I wrote a blog article on our core truth, ministry site, because um, I write blog articles from time to time, and I wrote one that should be interesting. I'll link it down in the show notes, but it's called, Did Old Testament Saints Possess the Holy Spirit? That's a question I had, and I researched it, and I put a blog article out there, but it talks about this, how how the Old Testament saints, yes, they had the Holy Spirit. They, they, they had it not in the way that we do, because right, we have it more say, yeah. fully, but God was with them. No question about it. And they did possess the Holy Spirit because they possessed possessed the promises of God. All they needed to do, no different than what we do now when we believe in the gospel, all you need to do is have faith. When we tell you that Christ died on the cross for your sins, and you, like him, will be resurrected to new life, if you believe in that, that faith can save you. Well, the Old Testament saints, they had the promises of God and they believed it. And yes, it saved them. But they were looking forward. They were looking forward to this Christ that was coming. And like you said, Christian, it, it, it gives a whole new dimension to this whole ministry of death and condemnation. Yeah. Now, when you read the New Testament and you look at what Paul, when he, when he talks about the law, he's not condemning it. The law is good. It served the purpose. He's not saying that the law has been replaced which actually gets into dispensationalism a little bit because there's some people that say that the God treated the Old Testament people differently than the New Testament this contradicts that yeah. he's treating everybody the same it's the same savior Old Testament or New Testament it's the same savior right 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 it's just a matter of understanding the scriptures and how the savior was to come and their perspective after the cross and a perspective before the cross there's nothing wrong with the law, but the law had a purpose. Okay? So in this second chapter of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul addresses this false belief. Because this is what was going on when we we're reading this chapter. This is what the apostles, this is the heresy that they brought into the church that was kind of convoluting everything. Okay. And this heresy just teaches that that, that a whole different covenant, a whole different gospel. But our understanding of the New Covenant and and the freedom that we have in Christ, to understand that is to understand what the Old Testament states understood, that something was coming, that that New Covenant was coming, and it was going to finally be the solution that was going to free men of their sins forever. And he emphasizes in a chapter that salvation is not achieved through the law, but through faith in Jesus. So this passage serves as a great reminder, Christian, that believers— have complete redemption and forgiveness in christ amen to that and the importance of placing hope on him alone not works not anything else not in ourselves okay now if we dig a little bit further in second corinthians verses seven through nine it makes you wonder now i mean what is the purpose of the law then let's go to galatians 319 just for a moment because Paul addresses this as well, too, in the, in the letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, verse 19. So what he says, starts out to say, why the law then? It was added because of the trespasses. Again, we have the law because of our sin. Right. Because if we didn't know about the law, we wouldn't know about our sin. And we'll get to that in a second. But why the law then? It was added because of our trans- trespasses. Having been ordained through angels by the hand of the mediator. Now, again, just to clarify on that, what, what, what Paul is saying here in Galatians is that when the law was given to Moses, there were angels present. This is one of the references in the Bible that apparently when God was given the law to Moses, there were angels present. And they were like mediators to, 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 to Moses. So having been ordained through angels by the hand of the mediator. being Moses until the seed would come down to whom the promise had been made okay so the purpose of the law okay was like it says here it was added because of our trespasses now let's take another deep perspective here from the moment God created the earth and men fell into sin in the garden Adam and Eve believed the serpent and didn't trust God Sin entered the world. Between then and Moses receiving the law, what happens to those sins? Right. Are they just looked over? If anything, it's the grace of God because when the law finally does show up and he gives it to Moses, from that point, from the beginning up to that point, men were running crazy. Yeah. How do you know what's right and wrong? Because they didn't have the law. The law served to show men their sin. Of course, of course. Without it, we don't know. How do you know that killing somebody is murder? You could have invented your own reality, your own truth, and say, I'm killing people all over the time. We see that in some some societies we've seen historically. Look at the Mayans, the way that they used to sacrifice human sacrifices all the time. In their society, in their mind, that was okay, sacrificing human beings to some god.
1: I mean, even the, the, the God of Molech, you had people in kings that were sacrificing uh newborn
0: males to the god of Molech. Yeah. And that's the kind of um chaos that you have without the right. law. So when God shows up and Moses is handed the law, now God is laying down some 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 rules. He's saying he's showing men, okay, let me show you how bad you are. Right. Because up to that point, you're just running wild, okay? And, and I'm just going to propose to you, and I'm going to argue that the Bible teaches that the law was made so that it can show us our sin. The purpose of the law it was not to save. I think we've made that clear. Yeah. The purpose of the law is to show us our sin. And if we go to Luke 18, verses 10 through 14. Luke 18, verses 10 through 14. Look at the two men that went up to the temple and prayed. Let me go there real quick and let's read that. Right, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one the Pharisee and the other the tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying these things to himself. Oh God, thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. But the tax collector stands standing some distance away was unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this is Christ talking. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This, my friends, this is the purpose of the law. Now the the Pharisee, and I'm going to, and I'm going to argue here that this is—remember, Paul was a Pharisee, so this is the kind of man that he was. God, thank you that I'm not like other people. Well, you got to look at the Paul of the Bible before the road of Damascus and before he got confronted by Christ. This is who he was, the person who would show up at the temple and say, I'm glad I'm not a swindler. I'm glad I'm not, I'm, I'm not like this tax collector right. over here. See, this tax collector, what that Pharisee didn't understand is that he understood what the law's purpose was. It was to show him his sin, and he's sitting there beating his chest, forgive me, God, a sinner. That is the purpose of the law. That's 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 what the law was supposed to do. It was never intended to take away sin. It was intended to show you how sinful you are. Does that does that make sense?
1: No, that makes complete sense. I was just looking at uh, a Genesis, I believe. I, I think it's like chapter five or something like that. Maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, wrong there, but um, where before um, Moses comes, um, evil increases on the earth, and kind of God is just you know you hear his cry, "My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he indeed is flesh." Um, and then, uh, he says that Yahweh saw the evil of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And Yahweh regretted that he made man on earth and he was grieved in his heart. Um, and obviously, um... We know that God found favor in the in the, in the eyes of uh, Noah, but you can see God's heart here on how He looks at man, which is when he's, which is why when He saves Israel, He sets that standard. I'm all right. I see this from my perspective, but you need to see how bad you really are. So try try and okay. follow these. You it's not going to happen. And then the the ultimate kind of standard and bar that's set really high is when Jesus comes and kind of clarifies the law again to the Jews.
0: Yeah. You're right. Absolutely right. And you know, I love that Pharisee and tax collector story that Christ shares because it shows you that's the condition that you need to be in. That's that's the place that you need to come to in order to be ready for the salvation that God has in store for you. You have to be at that place where you're broken, where you look at yourself. And the law serves to do that, to make a man reflect upon himself and say, wow, what a sinner am I? Look at Paul, Romans 7. You don't have to turn there, but Romans 7, he says it. He, uh, Romans 7, uh, verse 7 through 12. It says, what shall I say then? Is law sin? May it never be. Rather, I would not have come to know sin except for the law. Right. For I would have not have known about coveting if the law was not said, had not said you should not covet. Isn't that the point that we're making? But sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, worked out in me coveting of every kind. It didn't save Paul. If anything, it exacerbated that coveting nature, his sinful nature. And it continues to say in verse eight, for apart from the law, sin is dead. Now, verse nine, it says, now, once I was alive and apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived me and died. And what that means is, remember, Paul was the Pharisees of Pharisees. He said it himself, born of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, Benjamin, circumcised, although he was, I mean, Pharisees were a very elite group and he was one of them. Okay. And that led to the life that he made for himself and and we talk about Nicodemus. He was one of those people too, okay? But when the law showed up, guess what? He thought that he had life, but guess what? He found that it just led to death. That's what verse 10 is saying. And verse 11 says, For sin taking an opportunity through the account, the, the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. So he threw his whole life into the law. The Pharisees of Pharisees, there was no one like him, and all it did was deceive him and killed him. Right verse 12 so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous isn't good he's 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 basically confirming what we're saying here. The law is good, but that's what it's good for, to point you towards sin and ultimately to point you to the Savior. Right. If you're an Old Testament saint. For us, that's to point you towards Christ. Right. And you
1: were talking about, you know, Galatians 3. If you, I don't know if you, I don't think you touched on it, but, you know, if you read further into verse 24. Go ahead, brother. It said that, therefore, the law has become our tutor unto Christ christ so that we may be justified by faith it's just it's 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 so it's reiterated so many times in scripture what the law was used for um it's to point us to for our sins to increase our to see how bad our sin really is and to point us to christ who became a curse for us
0: And this is this is why when we read the New Testament, we must keep this perspective that we're teaching in this episode in mind, because these are the frustrations that our Lord Jesus Christ had to deal with. This is the Israel that he came to confront face to face. Right. Uh, They had they had basically just devoted themselves to this law, thinking that in the law there was righteousness. Romans 9 31 says, but Israel pursuing a law of righteousness did not attain the law. It was really an exercise in frustration what Israel was engaged in. Yeah. To go through all this ceremony, all this sacrament, all these things that they, all these rules and the way that they live so that they can look good in their own eyes, but they did not attain what the purpose of the law was intended. To show your filth, like the man beating on his chest in the temple, showing how much of a sinner that you are and how hopeless you are without the promises of God and without the promise of someone who would come to take that sin away forever. That's why some people in the New Testament, when the Messiah showed up, they were ready. There are some people who understood this. But the sad part about this is, Christian, that most of them did not. And this is why he was put to death, because they had the law, they had the scriptures, they had the promises of God, and they didn't understand it.
1: Yeah. It's so crazy how Paul starts with a letter of commendation, pulls the thread, and we are now talking about the letter of the law, which kills, which is a a ministry of of condemnation and and of death. Uh, it's just so cool how Paul just starts out with the sarcasm, with the letter of commendation, and just draws us into the law and what its purpose is and what the purpose of the new covenant is versus the old.
0: And going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, um, this is the context of what Paul is, is in there dealing with. And this is what he's trying to dispel. And this is the teaching that showed up, it's the same teaching that showed up in Christ's day that you've got to be a Jew and you've got to follow the law. right? And, and like we said before, it doesn't even have to be, you know, you know following Jewish law. You said it yourself. I mean, the, the, the watchtowerites have that too. We got to it'll do all these things to attain salvation. It doesn't work. The law reveals man's utter sinfulness. It reveals his inability to save himself and the desperate need of a savior. It was never intended as a way of salvation. There's no problem with the law. It's just that the sinner cannot keep it. That's the problem. And that brings us to salvation through new life. And that new life is through Christ, in Christ alone. And Jesus said it. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is these that bear witness of me. Okay, he says that. In John 5, he says, verse 39 and 40, he says, and you are unwilling, that's what I was just reading. You're willing to come to me so that you may have life. So, I mean, they had the Savior right there, the fulfillment of the covenant that was made to Abraham, David, Jacob, all the Old Testament saints. What they looked forward to and they saw in all these sacrifices. I mean, the temple is sitting right there, Christian. Yeah. yeah. They're doing these ceremonies and they're doing this stuff every day. Mm-hmm. And here's the manifestation, the solution to do away with that forever. And they didn't recognize it.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know what a true Jew is? I think Paul sets that straight. A true Jew, a true Jew, not a Jew from the Jews that obey the letter of the law, but a true Jew. Romans. I mean, uh, Paul clarifies it in Romans where he says, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. I mean, a lot of the times when these people were Pharisees were keeping the law, what were they doing? They were getting praise from men, you know, like oh, I'm this holy person keeping the law, you know, perfectly and doing all these ceremony and on all this stuff. So, you know, my praise is, is, is from men. They're, they don't, they're not really realizing that they're not getting praise from God from doing this, because God knows the intentions of their heart.
0: Yeah, Jesus said, that's all the praise they're going to (laughs) get. Right, right. That's all the praise they're going to get. Well, you know, Paul talks about, these are the fortresses that we fight. You know, these religious systems that people set up for themselves that lead to some kind of salvation that they manifest in their own hearts and their own minds. When Scripture is very clear that none of that's enough, in Christ, in Christ alone, even Old Testament saints, there is no salvation apart from Christ. Old Testament or New Testament, there is no salvation apart from That's Christ. That's right. That's right. The problem is not the law. The problem is that the sinner cannot keep it. Paul teaches endlessly about this. And, you know, it must have been something. when I mean, this is the frustration, I'm sure, that the... the the lord and savior jesus christ when he walked the earth ran into all the time i mean the, like i said the temple sitting right there and these guys are you know shedding blood all the time and and here he is the manifestation of god's lamb and and they're not getting it and even his apostles his followers and his disciples were confused about it it all comes down to understanding the Scripture, and i go back to this to this tax collector that's beating his chest he got it right right he understood that he reached the end of his rope and look at the Magi. They, they searched the Scriptures and made inquiries, and they found where they can find the Messiah. It can be done. It's just a matter of what is your knowledge of the Scripture, which is a big problem, not only in Christ's day, which we'll show in our next episode because I cover some of that. There was a, a profound misunderstanding of the Scripture in his day and today. Yeah. People just don't understand these things. I mean, look at what, what Jesus says in Luke 22, 20 and in the same way this is christ up in the upper room with his disciples. and in the same way he took the cup after he had eaten saying this is the cup which is poured out for you it is the new covenant in my blood that verse right there should have new meaning to you after hearing this teaching today because it's not just something that's read on sunday when they do the lord's table and they do the lord's supper when you receive the bread and the juice when Jesus was saying there is that this is the cup which is poured out for you and this new covenant is in my blood. That means he is the only blood that was going to satisfy God's need for this sin to be paid for. It was him. I mean, he's telling you what the new covenant is. Right. He is at the center of the new covenant. It's his coming that they were waiting for. It's his coming that the scripture spoke of. I mean, it's all him. Old Testament or New Testament, it doesn't matter. Salvation is the same. Trust and believe in Christ. Faith in Christ. That's it. That's it. That's what it comes down to. And, you know, for the next episode, we're going to cover a little bit more of the glory of the new covenant. There's a lot of confusing verses in here. I hope we're clearing up some of this for everybody. We could never possibly cover every single verse in this chapter. No way. There is so much here, but we'll get into the glory of the new covenant, new, new um, covenant in the next one. And it says in verse seven, for if the ministry of condemnation, which we've been talking about, is glory, if it has glory, that that we, we can't argue that, right? What God did in the Old Testament, that these saints were looking forward to God's promises, that had glory to it. That chapter talks about it. Look at all the glory that was poured out on Moses to the fact to the point where he even shone. OK, he, he had to put a veil on his face because he right. shone from God's glory. We'll cover that a little bit more. If that ministry of condemnation, which is to condemn man and show his utter hopelessness and sinfulness and point him to the Savior, how much more glory is this new, new ministry of righteousness, this new grace, this new gospel in Christ, this new covenant in Christ's blood? How much more glory is that going to have? So much more. So much more. And we'll get into that in the next episode. And... I'm passionate as you can hear about this, and I'm excited for you guys, and I'm glad that you've hung in there and listened long enough. And I'm sorry that we got to keep you hanging till the next episode, <laughs> but there's just no way that we're yeah, going to yeah, cover yeah. the depth of this of this chapter in just one episode. So thank you for tuning in, folks. Christian, this has been a blast.
1: Amen. Yes. And
0: I can't wait for the next one. But you folks come back. We're going to top this off, and this is going to be one you're going to go back to and listen to again and again. I promise you. But the next uh, episode is going to be just as exciting and just as fulfilling so tune in for episode 20 that's coming up in the meantime thank you christian thank you you guys for listening we love you god bless you and we'll see you next time thank you for joining us today we pray that we have been an encouragement to you this episode has been made possible by listeners like you please consider partnering with us through your prayers and gifts your support enables us to provide sound biblical teaching that helps others open up their understanding of the scriptures across the globe To support this show financially, click the Donate Now link in the episode notes, or you can visit our podcast website at relentlesslybiblical.org and use a donate link in the podcast player or the Support This Show button that's on our homepage. Thank you for your gracious support. Join us again for our next episode, and remember to always be in God's Word and stay relentlessly biblical. This episode has been a production of Core Truth Media, owned and operated by Core Truth Ministries. This podcast was recorded and engineered at Prevail Studios.